So uh, Mark and I have been uh, friends for quite some time. In, in fact, we've been in a pastor's accountability group uh, for about seven or eight years. Both of us uh, planted churches about the same time. Uh, in fact, I was here uh, for the very first launch service uh, that one had back in uh, December of 2006. Uh, and then uh, also uh, my wife and I, we came out, uh, we were getting ready to getting ready to plant our church uh, a couple months after uh, one was planted. We've since left that church. It merged with another church. We were out in Levine uh, in the far southwest uh, valley. I'm at a church in Scottsdale, Arizona now. And uh, I don't think I need to tell you that you have one of the very best leaders, uh, not just in our state, uh, but in, in our movement, which uh, our, our tribe is, is called the Church of God. I don't know how often Mark uh, mentions that. We just had meetings this past week in OKC, uh, and so Mark should come back like super inspired and full of energy when he gets back because we got fired up there. And uh, But really, I mean, I can't say this enough. Mark is, is one of the best leaders uh, that we have uh, in the Church of God. You are lucky to have him. Pray for him. Uh, it's hard planting a church. Uh, I've planted two, and I, I know how tough it is. I know, uh, you know, what what planters go through. And uh, so pray for him, support him, uh, and love on your pastor when he gets back, okay? We promise to do that. All right. All right. So I noticed that you have some Bibles on the, uh, on the chairs, and if you... Uh, want to turn uh, in those Bibles, or if you have a, a maybe a Bible app on your phone, you can turn to that. Uh, I'll be referencing uh, part of a story uh, in the Old Testament from the Old Testament prophet uh, Daniel, uh, and uh, in, in the third uh, chapter of, of Daniel. It, at our church in Scottsdale, we're, we're uh, going through a series right now called Campfire Stories. And so we've kind of selected some of the stories uh, that as a kid, you know, we were sitting around uh, at youth camp and you're telling these stories. And some of them are kind of weird and freaky. You know, there's some stories in the Bible that are kind of weird and freaky, right? I, I mean, when you read them, you just go, whoa, like, I wasn't expecting that, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and today's story is, is one of those. The year is 605 B.C. And the Assyrians rule the world from their capital city of Nineveh. But a major shift is taking place. And King Nebuchadnezzar uh, and his Babylonian empire, his Babylonian armies begin to subdue the surrounding nations. They, they subdue and they conquer the Assyrians, uh, who were the foremost power of their day. And they also conquered this little tiny country, this little tiny sliver of, of land called, called Judah. Uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar and his armies, uh, they besiege Jerusalem. Uh, and they take many of the temple vessels with them and some of the leading young citizens, including Daniel and his three friends that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He takes them off to Babylon to educate them in the ways of Babylon. It's one of the great stories in the Old Testament. It's one of the great stories that we've told around the campfires at youth camp, 
uh, and as we're sharing those kinds of stories. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's not known for his humility or his tolerance, and he builds a statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide of himself, an image of himself made of pure gold. He calls all of his leaders together, and he says, everyone must bow down at this statue that I have created of myself. Everyone is, is to worship at this statue. Now, for most Babylonians and the surrounding countries that they conquered, this would not be a problem. I mean, they worshipped all kinds of gods. So adding one more to it, you know, going you know, to this new you know, city with this big statue of Nebuchadnezzar, not a problem. They'll go and bow down at this statue, no big deal. But for Daniel, and these three young friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, it was a major conflict of interest. You see, because they worship the one true God. They worship Yahweh, and Yahweh only. And while all the other countries, they had multitudes of gods, multiple gods, all kinds of gods that they prayed to. Gods of fertility, gods of the weather, gods of food, all kinds of gods. No big deal to pray to one more god. But for Daniel and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was a problem. Now, in another region of Babylon, you need to know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel also had risen to positions of power and prominence. And word got back to King Nebuchadnezzar, that they were not bowing to the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had built of himself. And he flies into a rage, and he orders them to be brought before them. And we read these words in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, if you're there. Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up. I will give you one more chance, but if you refuse, you will be thrown into the blazing furnace. And then what God can rescue you from my power? Now in those final moments, when you stand before what you may believe to be your final moments, all of the scaffolding of life begins to fall away, doesn't it? I mean, as a pastor, and as an older pastor, around my church, we like to say more mature pastor (laughs) instead of older pastor. Yet, Mark is, he's just a young buck, you know. And, uh, but I've seen this quite often as a pastor. Persons that some were standing right at the threshold of what were their final hours, their final days. Others... Thought it was their final days, but rallied, recovered. But it's interesting that the scaffolding of our lives kind of fall away when we come to that place in our life. All the toys we've spent our life chasing, success and reputation and security, wealth, comfort, ease, these mean nothing, and you're left with what you believe, what you've built your life on, and the people that you've journeyed with. That's what's most important. Maybe you've been there. 
Maybe you've been at a place in your life where you thought, man, I'm near the end. You know, we have those scares, don't we? Health scares. Maybe you've been in an automobile accident that you thought, oh my goodness, so close. And you begin to think about your life. And those, those things that we, we think are so important, those begin to just kind of fall away. And it's what we've built our life on, who we believe in, and the people that we've journeyed with that they're always mentioned. Now this moment came in the lives of our three friends that we have read about and talked about so far this morning. They were men of great promise, respected. They were leaders. They were living deeply fulfilling lives. I'm sure that they had so many hopes and dreams, dreams and hopes of of maybe marrying and raising a family someday. Even though they were exiled in in a foreign land, they still had hopes and dreams. Now listen to what they believe, I think, would be their last words ever spoken. Now we've just seen that they've been brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and challenged by the most powerful man that walks the face of the earth at this point in time. And here's what they say. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then these next five words just jump off the page to me. But they say, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. But even if he doesn't, our God is able, but even if he doesn't, we refuse to bow down. And what's so striking to me about this story is that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, death is escapable. All they have to do is bend their knee. All they have to do is say one word and the nightmare will be over. But they refuse. And their lives begin tumbling towards unimaginable pain, inevitable death. But they would not say that word. They would not bend their knee. And we kind of think when we read this story sometimes, wow, okay, man, they are such heroes. Uh, But that was 2,600 years ago. And stuff like that doesn't happen today. But around the world today, there are those that face similar situations as these three young men. Miriam Ibrahim was recently arrested because she's a Christian. She was born into a family where her father was a Muslim, but her mother was a Christian. And her mother raised her Christian, and she became a Christian at a very early age. She committed her life to Christ. But if you've been following this story in the news, you know that the country that she lives in, it is against the law to change religions. And since her father was a Muslim and she was a Christian, they convicted her of apostasy and sentenced her to hang. 
I don't know if you've been following the story. She insisted that her mother raised her as a Christian from her earliest days. She's always been a Christian. And that she would never waver in her faith. Of course, her story has prompted outrage from millions online and through um, Amnesty International. On Monday last, so just six days ago, the appeal court annulled her sentence and freed her. She and Wani, her husband, her Christian husband, and their children were trying to escape when they were rearrested, trying to forge travel documents is what they held her on. But everybody knew what they were holding her for. The fact that she was a Christian, and that was the only reason. They have since, just a few days ago, released her. And as far as we know this morning, Miriam and Wani and her children sit in the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum. Stuff like this doesn't happen today, does it? People aren't persecuted for their faith, are they? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What so impressed me about her story is that at any point she could have just said, ah, you know, Christian, Muslim, what's the difference? And she would have been released. For all she knew, she sat in that prison facing a hanging for her faith. From the gulags in North Korea to Christian refugees at this moment pouring over the borders from Iraq and Syria into Lebanon. Christians around the world are having to stand up and say, I'm a believer. Whether it cost me my life or not, just spent this past week with our missionary that our church supports in Cairo, Egypt. His name's Ken Oldham. And he's describing how Christian refugees, now with the unrest in Iraq and Syria over the past three years, Lebanon, who's tolerant of Christians and Christianity, they don't know what to do because there's so many refugees. It's a major issue in our world. Young girls in Africa and India, being sold into sex slavery in the human trafficking chain. Our movement, our tribe, of which we are a part, of which you are a part, of which Pastor Mark is a part, have, have made it an issue for us over this next year to help stop this. There are organizations around the world who are standing up and, and, and saying, we've got to save these girls. We've got to pull them out of the dilemma that they find themselves in. And they're doing it all in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you, Satan does not stand idly by as we seek to rescue and save the lost. He'll oppose, and he is opposing. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? And he's the God of this city still. I love that song that we sang because... Uh, it echoes the words of Jesus, who said, you know what? Greater things you and I will do than even he did. These words look like they would be the final words for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God is able 
to deliver us. But even if he does not. Now, for many of us, our faith stops, doesn't it, with our God is able to deliver us. We don't like to say the next part of that line. The, the, the next part that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego affirm in their testimony and in their witness. But even if he does not. What a statement of faith. As long as life is working out, God is able, right? But as soon as the tables turn, we lose our job. Our spouse walks out. Our home is foreclosed upon. Our child remains a prodigal. We pray prayer after prayer after prayer, and seemingly the heavens are silent. Or at least we're not getting the prayer that we want, right? The answer that we want, right? And so we think something's wrong with God, or maybe something's wrong with us. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't doing that. They affirmed, our God is able to deliver us. We know that. We affirm that. But even if he doesn't, even if he says no, we still will not bow down. We still will affirm who we are, and we will remain and stay faithful. Now, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar's not backing down. He cranks up the, the, the furnace seven times hotter, Scripture tells us, if you're following along in there. And, and seven is just a, a fancy, ancient word for saying a lot. <laughs> I don't know how they were, you know, were able to... It's going to be seven times hotter. Is this going to be super hot, okay? Like seven is like the magic number in the Bible and in ancient you know, writings. It means a lot. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I'm going to crank this up a lot. Imagine being one of these three men facing what looks like it's going to be their final moment. In fact, the fire is so hot, it says, that the soldiers who are given commission to throw them in, they die from the heat. And there they are in the furnace, waiting for the searing pain, maybe the smoke inhalation to suffocate them. But nothing happens. They don't feel anything. Maybe they've actually died and are like hovering over the scene. You know, you, you hear reports of that when... You know, people die. But they don't feel any different. They're not even warm. And they're alive. But that's not even the best part of the story. The best part is what turns this story from a miracle to a divine encounter. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? This is where it gets weird, by the way. <laughs> this is why I like this story a lot. Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like Yeah, right? Right? Who is this fourth man? Well, the text doesn't say, of course. But many scholars believe, and I affirm with them, that it is an early sighting of Jesus himself, the second person in the Trinity. 
Now the furnace. We need to talk about that for a little bit. Because what looked like the end of their lives turned out to be the greatest thing that could ever happen to them. It was the can't-miss moment of their life. Talk about a God moment, <laughs> right? We talk about, man, that was a real God moment, you know, when a song hit us in the right way or something, you know? Talk about a God moment. You're walking around in a fire thinking that this is the end, and it, actually, a fourth person shows up. The furnace, as it turns out, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, becomes the very place where they meet God face to face. God meets us in the furnaces of life also. When we were, uh, we were planting a church, uh, and we, uh, in fact, this morning's brought back a lot of memories, by the way, um, I've spent 12 years of my life planting churches. Um, planted a church in, in Ahwatukee. It's a fantastic church, uh, big church in Ahwatukee. Um, I've got to tell you that there is never a moment when I miss set up and tear down. Never. There's never a moment. I've heard church planters get nostalgic. Oh, yeah, it's like I never miss it. <laughs> now, I miss being with people who are at a church plant like you guys. Because you guys are awesome. I mean, you know, there's big churches all over the place, right? You guys, you guys choose to be here. You guys work to be here. And I love that. When, and, and you guys went through the same thing. I don't, some of you that have been here since the beginning of one, uh, you'll know that after about a year or so, the organization that planted us ran out of money. Go figure, right? The, the recession hit, you know? And Mark and I, we found ourselves in our own personal furnace. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know? We have hungry kids to feed, and Mark and Shannon just, they kept having kids. You know, it's like our, our kid, we're getting our kid off the payroll, you know? And, uh, and they kept having more, you know? And uh, God bless them. But... Uh, during the four years that we stayed, and I don't know whether Mark's done this, but there were moments when uh, we bought stuff for the church on our credit card. Uh, we bought groceries with our credit card, you know, which Dave Ramsey definitely doesn't approve of that. Uh, and uh, but I got to tell you something. I've never felt closer to God than in those four years when week by week we wondered if we were going to make it. And I know you've been through experiences like that. You and the Krenzes. And uh, one of the things that, that I learned through that episode was uh, my, my own furnace was uh, when I'm down on my knees, crying out to God, crying out to God for deliverance, uh, God would say to me, I like you right there on your knees, crying out to me, dependent upon me. Now, like I told you, we've since left uh, the bridge, the, the church that we had planted. But i got to tell you that the last three years, God keeps telling me, stay right there on your knees. 
God is able, but even if he does not, stay faithful. Now, some things that we learn uh, from this story. And if you have, uh, I don't know whether Mark does this, but I always have like a, a little handout. So there's a handout sheet. You can fill in the blanks if you want. And uh, next week you can bring it in to Mark. I'm sure you'll get some extra credit for that. And uh, look, I was here. Here's my outline. Um, first thing is this. God delivers us in the furnace, not from the furnace. <laughs> See, a lot of our prayers that we lift up to heaven are prayers to keep us from the furnace, right? Guilty. <laughs> I'm number one right there. And what I've discovered, and if you live long enough, you'll discover this too, because you'll go through some fiery trials and, and furnaces in your life. You'll discover that God meets you right there in the furnace. And sometimes that's why he wants us to go through some things, so that we'll come to a greater and a deeper understanding of who he is and what he has in mind for us. So God delivers us in the furnace, not from the furnace. Jesus says, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will meet you in the furnace. We come to faith hoping that it will make life easier, right? Many of us do. i got to tell you, it makes life better, but it doesn't always make life easier. I grew up in... Uh, a church where we, we sang songs like, uh, Every Day with Jesus is Sweeter Than the Day Before. <laughs> leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarms. <laughs> now, I, I understand the intent of the hymn writers and, and the songwriters, at the, but i got to tell you, that hasn't always been my experience. I remember my youth pastor telling me, you know, the center of God's will is the safest place to be. Oh, really? Tell that to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, tell that to Peter and to Paul and the rest of the disciples. Tell that to Stephen, the first martyr. I'm not sure that as they were stoning him, he was singing, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You know? Look, what we are guaranteed, I think, in Scripture is that there will be times, crazy times, that it will look dark and dangerous, some scary chapters in our life. But if we keep following, if we remain faithful, God will meet us there. God will meet us in the furnace if you'll stay faithful like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you say, even if he does not, I still will not bow down to that gold statue that you built, King Nebuchadnezzar. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of that furnace? (laughs) Here's what it says, verse 27 of Daniel chapter 3. The fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Here's how the rest of the story goes. As they exit the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar congratulates them on defying him. 
He acknowledges their God and he bows down to Yahweh. And then he commands everyone in the empire to worship Yahweh. He wasn't a big freedom of worship guy. (laughs) He wasn't real into the Bill of Rights. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, everybody now is going to worship Yahweh, (laughs) you know. No tolerance there. No one gets to choose, bow down, you know. Then listen to this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. My second point is this. God doesn't just restore the old. He brings the new. The prophet Isaiah, he said this. Forget the former things. Forget the things of the past. See, I am doing a new thing, a brand new thing. Do you not see it? See, God is always about not restoring the old, but about bringing the new. One day it's promised that there will be a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven here on earth, and that here on earth will be this new thing that God is doing and has in mind and in store for us. God isn't just about restoring old things. He's about bringing the new thing. I know many of you in this room, you know that. Because if you were to just think about your past and the old in your life, you'd say, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I need something new. I need something fresh. That's what God promises. And so when they come out of the furnace... They aren't just restored to their old positions. They're given new positions of prominence and opportunity and advancement in the kingdom. New ways to influence the culture they were given. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I wonder what the rest of their lives looked like. We don't know. This is the last time we hear of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Last time they're mentioned in Scripture. I wonder if they thought how easily they could have missed this adventure. I wonder if they approached the rest of their life with great faith and boldness. I bet they did. (laughs) If you ever trust God enough to go to places that look like the end and you meet him there, it marks you. You carry that moment to the grave with you. Let me ask you something. What are you staring down right now in your life that you are dreading? That, oh man, if, if you could, you would avoid it. But maybe what awaits you around the next is the greatest moment of your life. Maybe we should stop asking for less heat for an easier, more comfortable, more pleasant, more secure life, and start asking for something better. Start asking for the new thing that God wants to bring into our life. I was writing a devotional for our, our church uh, several weeks ago. And I, was, I was putting some of the thoughts together for uh, this message, and uh, I, was, I was given this, this passage to, to, uh, to write a devotional on, and it's in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 27. And I know you know this, this little side light uh, as Jesus is heading towards his crucifixion, but it says this. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, 
and they forced him to carry the cross. About that. Simon, he probably lived his whole life to make it to the Passover celebration this year. And as he's on his way towards the celebration, towards the, the party time, the party of parties for, for Jews, a Roman soldier taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, carry this man's cross. Ah. I'm sure Simon initially thought, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. But why do we know his name? Huh. Why isn't he just an, an anonymous side note in biblical history, because something marked him that day. Something in the face and the look of Jesus. We know his name because most scholars believe that he probably and his family became a believer later in life from that one encounter. What he thought was going to be the worst day of his life, or one of them, became the greatest moment of his life. The life that turned, the, the moment that turned his life totally around. He just thought he was just going for a Passover celebration. What happened is he met the king of kings on his way to the cross. Perhaps maybe we should start uh, actually looking for the fourth man. Um, My title today is a little play on words, May the Fourth Be With You. But now knowing the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know what I'm talking about, right? The third thing that I want to leave you with today is this. You know, there's something to be said about ordinary people who show up, remain faithful, and make themselves available. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. Ordinary people who showed up made themselves available. You know, you never know how God might use you in the life of another person. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably didn't know uh, that they were going to be used in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, that King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful person on planet Earth at that time, would bow his knee to Yahweh. We, We never know sometimes, do we? In 1912, William Leslie was a medical missionary And he went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner of the Republic of the Congo. After 17 years, he returned to the United States, believing that his efforts were an utter and complete failure. He was a discouraged man. He died nine years after his return. In 2010, a missionary aviation fellowship team led by Eric Ramsey flew into Kinshasa, and then to Vanga, where they hiked up a mile to the Quilu River and used dugout canoes to cross the half-mile river. Then they hiked for 10 miles through the jungle before they, first, before they reached the first village of the Yancey people. Based on his research that Missionary Aviation Fellowship had done, they expected uh, to find a people that had no knowledge of Jesus Christ. They were unprepared for what they would find. 
They found a church in each of the eight jungle villages scattered across 34 miles. They even found a 1,000-seat stone cathedral that had been built in the 80s because these tribal people were coming from all over the land to come and worship God at this stone cathedral. It got so big that they started a church planting organization that planted churches in the villages. Apparently, Dr. Leslie crossed the Quilu River once a year from Vanga and spent a month traveling through the jungle, seeking to bring medical attention to the children, reading Bible stories to them, teaching them how to read and to write. He had a relational falling out with the the mainland, the organization that was supporting him and, and sent him, and so he went home feeling like a failure and feeling like his 17 years were wasted. But the legacy that he left, the people in those villages described, some of them couldn't even remember his name some 100 years before, but he had planted that seed. You never know. When you're an ordinary people and you show up and you're faithful, you never know how God is going to use you. You just never know. This morning, you know, as we end, maybe you find yourself, you know, in that place where you're in the furnace. You're wondering, you know, God, I'm not quite sure what you're trying to teach me, but I know this. I know you're able to deliver, but even if you do not, even if you don't, I'm going to remain faithful to you. Some of you just need to make that your declaration this morning. God wants to meet you right there. He perhaps wants to show you a a, a deeper experience with him that, that you can't experience in the good times on the mountaintop. You can only experience that when you're in the furnace and the fourth man shows up, and he will show up. This morning, you may want to take a moment and light a candle. It's on the side uh, of uh, the worship center here. Uh, Light has always represented uh, the presence of God in Scripture. And so as you light a candle, you may just want to say, you know, I need your presence more in my life, God. I need to know you more. I need to know you better. There may be someone in your family or in your life that you want to light a candle for and say, bring light. Bring light and hope into their life, O Lord. And then there's also communion stations, I believe. And um, those of you can take communion elements and maybe kneel at the table back here or just bring it back to your seat while we're singing this song, and just commune with Jesus, our Savior. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this group of people, these faithful people. I thank you for one community church that's a light in the Santan Valley. Thank you for Mark and Shannon and their family. So faithful to you here. God, I pray that you'd be with them as they continue to lead this vibrant group of people, this faith community here at One. God, as we walk through the furnaces of our life, may we say, 
Oh, we know that you're able to deliver. But even if you do not, we will stay and remain faithful. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.